Welcome back to the Seahawks Nest Podcast, home of punt, 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 field goal, fumble, field goal, punt, field goal, field goal, punt, field goal, punt, 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 touchdown. That's right, guys. That's all the Seahawks drives this season, ending in touchdown, finally. I feel like if you'd have said that more emphatically, it could have been a Dance Dance Revolution track. But it but it wasn't our touchdown. It was our touchdown, Paul Richardson. Oh, I guess it was. Yeah. I just see see how long it's been. I totally forgot. Yeah, it's a uh, it was it's it's hard to forget the or to remember the the game winning touchdown by our our hero Paul Richardson. And then the missed extra point just to cap it yeah. off. Yeah, Blair Walsh just he can't can't uh, be perfect. Can't, he can't help it. but be Blair Walsh. All right, so uh, welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Nest. I'm Nathan Santo, joined as always by my partners in crime, uh, Eric Ronnebeck. I saw some clickbait today that said. In a blind taste test, this beat Pizza Hut. And I was like, wow, what dog food is this? <laughs> Sorry, that's Did you all click it? Did you click it? No, no, because I already knew. I just I don't need to know what dog food it is. <laughs> I just know beat Pizza Hut, it's dog food. I it's get not, it. It's not for people? That's what you're saying? Pizza yeah. Hut's not for people? Correct. All right. And uh, I kick it over to the uh, Gruber, to my uh, McLean, Kevin Garber. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, how you doing? <laughs> Nathan Sancho grasping at straws. Hey, man. Uh, He picked on it. uh, I'm sorry, Eric, if you'd have clicked on it, you'd just gotten a Camaro speeding by and heard, Gooby Pepper. (laughs) Hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but someone made a sequel to The Noid. That's what this is made. That is my favorite thing. Uh, That is better than Pizza Hut. There is a The Noid, too. You can go ahead and try it. Um, It, it, It's actually pretty good, I'll be honest. All right. Let's let's, try it. It's worth trying. Let's get right to it. Wait, Uh, I have cherished childhood memories of The Noid. Okay, we're ending this. Talk is over. You started. Go, Nathan. Uh, go. Okay, so let's get right to it. The, the Seahawks. You we will. It. We will we start can. with the Seahawks offense. Let's be. Let's let's just live in the nightmare. It was offensive. This, you got to eat your vegetables before you have dessert. Not that the offense. Not that the defense was dessert necessarily. Yeah, this is like also. I like vegetables. This is straight um, steamed cauliflower, though. Okay, so the offense. Uh, Kevin, start us off with the run game. How did the Seahawks do in the run game? You know. I actually had to go back and look because I, I had a theory I was developing over the course of the game that I, I felt like this was a very Seahawks run game. And going back, watching the All-22, watching the 45-minute play, <laughs> dude, that is really distracting. Stop doing that. <laughs> Took me a minute, Nathan. Continue. Continue, Kevin. Sorry, I'm, I'm like doing Nathan's things off, off that's mic what, that's to try to distract Kevin while he's trying to talk. It's, it was it really effective. It's he working. got us back because I got you with it last week. Yeah, Anyways. I was, I, my revenge is complete. <laughs> All right, this is making good radio. Um, it's, uh, it's Seahawk related. Jeremy Stevens, Hope Solo. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, dude. Yep, now Kevin is totally off. So let me pick up where Kevin left off. Okay, Kevin so, developing a theory about our run game. And uh, so the theory about the run we game. We needed Eddie Lacy. No, no one thought that. Eddie Lacy didn't even think that. Eddie Lacy's mom didn't even think that. Eddie I'm Lacy's Uber Eats contact he has on speed dial didn't even think that. But he loves Chinese food. He's going to eat himself back into offensive line status out of sadness. Um, this just went all sorts of places. Anyway, going back to the point. So, if you remember, the way that the run game used to work was pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it the first half. And then the second half... And especially the fourth quarter, after they'd been sort of uh, beaten, then suddenly you were starting to gash them for these longer runs. Yeah, tiring Marshawn out the Lynch, defense, right? Yeah, exactly. Marshawn Lynch made a living on that. And so I went ahead and tallied it through. Chris Carson had 10 runs of two to three yards. 
This is important because I had one run that was negative. So 10 runs of two to three yards, most of which were running straight into the teeth of the defense. And then in the fourth quarter, busted off four runs that were uh, at least a first down or in distance. So at least 10-yard runs, busting off a bunch of them. That is an effective plan for a run game for this team. That was what I think a lot of us wanted to see, and they that was kind of a proof of concept. So what that shows is Chris Carson can run the style of run game that Seattle needs. And you're leaving something out, Kevin, which is that we... Russell had 12 rush attempts in this game, and not all of them were design runs, but a lot of them were. Yeah. They, they brought back Carson and Russell ran the ran the read option together quite yeah. a few times. And the they shotgun. ran it out of the shotgun, exactly. And Chris Carson showed he can run from the shotgun, which uh, other backs could not. Do you have a number on how many times we did the read option? Because I saw a lot of uh, you know bootlegs by Russ as opposed to read op- right. traditional read option plays. Yeah, uh, I only saw three read option plays. Um, one of which was a re- uh, one of which was a big keeper. It was interesting though. Uh, we didn't use a single one, so that's twelve runs. None of them were in the third quarter. Huh. Russell did not run the ball in the third, which is weird. What was our time of possession in the third? I uh, honestly don't remember how long. We I didn't had it see then. in the third. I believe we had three possessions. Okay. You'll be happy to know though. We did win time of possession thirty six fifty eight to twenty three oh two. Yeah, we won it decisively. Um, yeah, I thought the Seahawks ran pretty decently. I mean, the offensive line blocked like like trash though like they were not good uh and it was more just a matter of like carson got the ball so many times that we weren't giving up just because the game was we in hand right like we we had confidence we were gonna win we didn't need to throw until that drive where we needed a we needed to score right and we got the touchdown we suddenly did it out of nowhere russell wilson all of a sudden out of nowhere he remembers how to like get us a throw a lot and get us a touchdown drive um, so I don't know. I I think it was it was a really weird game plan where like we were more than willing to win six to three, like that that it seemed like the team was more than willing to do that. Yeah, and I know you can get into Russ in a minute, so I'm going to save the pass blocking stuff for when you start talking about Russ. But talking pure run blocking, there were a few themes I noticed. Um, Jokel wasn't getting any push, but he was holding his ground for the most part. I thought Britt looked pretty good in run blocking. One thing Britt does that I really like, to to piggyback on you, is that he's really good at the one thing you want a zone-blacking center to do, which is help on a guy, then move on to the next guy. He does it exactly right every single time. And, like, I know that the line is a mess right now, but, like, I want to appreciate the fact that one of these guys is really doing his job, and it is is Justin Britt. So if anyone says, like, hey, you know, the line's bad, but Justin Britt's playing pretty good, they're right. Like, he's not a 10 out of 10. I'm not – no. He's not a 10 out of 10. He has too many bad plays for it to be a 10 out of 10. But he's a solid like 7.5 out of 10, yeah. which is which is light years above the way most of these other guys are playing. Yeah, and that's the thing that um, – that's, that's part of where this is going. So you brought up Britt is our only guy that can reliably do that. He's the only guy reliably getting to the second level. If you'd like to see the opposite of that, watch any time Jermaine Effetti has to block on the second level. Because it looks kind of like he's doing the worm. He struggles to find someone. like, Or he'll find someone and he like falls down in front of them. Like he like lays down like a like a tackling dummy. It's weird. At least with Effetti though, when we ask him, hey, just block this guy in front of you, he does a good job. And if you watch our power runs to the right side and up the middle were where we were successful. But I will say 
If we do a stretch to the right, Rizzo Diombo cannot block the backside to save his life. There were three run plays where we tried to stretch it to the right towards the sideline, and on all three of them, Odiombo missed a block on the backside, and the backside pursuit took out the running back. Would you say that Jermaine Effetti, would you say maybe he has a conditioning issue? I mean, we're going to go to the pass blocking It's in a, a mental second. conditioning issue. Is it mental condition? I mean, this is a real, a real question. It's a physical conditioning re- issue, no. I really believe that a lot of the problems with this offensive line come down to coaching and mentality. The the co- I think that they are they are they don't know what to do. They seem to be lost on the field. Like guys will just not find blocks, or they'll fall down at the beginning of the play. Like like kind of like it's a cut block, but they won't actually cut block anyone. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like oh, some of them struggle to finish blocks. Yeah, well, you have like Jermaine Effetti on run plays where you say he can't find that second block, and on passing plays, as soon as the first guy blows by by him or he. Or he can get like you know the block in on someone where he gets stopped. He'll just give up entirely. He'll he'll kind of he'll watch someone go flying by him. He'll keep looking straight ahead as if like the safety's right. gonna come in out of nowhere. It's I, like you like said, glow will, glow will miss his block, and then Effetti's like, oh well, I'm done too now. Yeah, and it's I don't know. Like I know that's a mental thing, but it's it's also you see a lot of you know hands on hips early in the game from Effetti. That's something I saw in the game. And I just want to know, like, it's obviously a mental thing, but could it be conditioning as well physically? Because it just doesn't look like it because he still has power. If you watch all through the game, he has power in the run plays. He has power and strength to spare. But it's what Nathan said. You give him someone to block right in front of him, he'll block the heck out of that person. But if you're asking him to make a read, he is in over his head. And that comes down to coaching. Uh, The other thing I want to touch on real quick is uh, Thomas Rawls had a really ineffective day, and that was uh, in part due to a couple of different things. I did think that Rawls looked a little slow hitting the hole. There were a few plays where I think there was a hole to be uh, for you know a good three to five yards. It's a very small sample, by the way. It's only five rushes. It's only five rushes. Uh, He had a good run going on the play where he fumbled. I think it was his first carry. And he would have picked up some yardage there, but he fumbled the ball and it stalled out the play. And then Nathan would like to tell you about the play that made him want to throw up. Oh, oh, the play where Rawls. So Rawls gets the ball uh, behind the line of scrimmage. He's he look. There's looks like there. Every offensive lineman falls down onto the ground. All five of them. There's there's a <laughs> Brit fall. Brit Brit rubs a guy like he's supposed to, and then when he goes to get to the second guy, he just kind of falls over. Glowinski just immediately falls over in the hole where there's supposed to be guys where. Where his guy is supposed to run, um, uh, the other two guys inexplicably follow. Everyone falls over, like literally, like when by the time Rawls gets to the line of scrimmage, all five guys are on the ground for no reason. It just it it's, it def- yeah. it defies expectation. And the thing that sucks is like, okay, if you fall over and you cut block a guy, like if you if you bring him down, it's fine. Oh, also in this play, like a Fetty gets away with a huge hole, or, or maybe it's Odiambo. One of the tackles gets away with a huge hold by like dragging a guy to the ground with him. Which, if Glowinski did that, I'd be fine with it, because at least he's trying. But he falls down, and then the guy who he's supposed to block is just standing there behind him, like, all right, cool. Like, thanks, bud. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. It's really frustrating. And, like, yeah, we talked about before the game how they have uh, good front seven guys who play pretty good. But, I mean, DeForest Buckner was incredible in this game, much better than, than he had any right to be. Uh, he had four hits, five hurries on his forty rushes, so nine total pressures. He also had two run stops, uh, which is re- which is good for a, a player that plays his position. Um, and yeah, I think DeForest Buckner from the interior was a really important part of their their success in slowing us down too. 
Yeah, because like, Glowinski could not handle him at all. We let him get off. Glowinski just made him look like this is like Nick Perry last week, man. We made we made a guy who is like an above average to good football player look like Reggie White in his prime, right? Like look like Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> like DeForest Buckner was the best player in this football game, and that's just that's unacceptable. Like he's not going to do that the rest of the season, right? There there will be very few games where he controls the line of scrimmage like he did against us. Yeah. this season, and that and except for the other time they play us, then he'll he'll, prob- right. he'll probably do it. Again. So I guess to transition to the past game and to kind of uh, riff off this, uh, I counted six times that Mark Lewinsky was just straight beat. Like somebody pulled a rip move and he was blocking air or somebody just knocked him to the side. I'm talking about like a two Mississippi count would have been better than having Lewinsky try and block him just flat beat. Like he was a ghost. Yeah. Uh, Other players did not play super great. Uh, Odiambo got beat four times in pass coverage, but yeah, I thought, no one got beat like Lewinsky got beat. Yeah, I thought Fetty was was improving. Like he's he's now at a point where I could say like he could be a member on a good offensive line. He needs other good players around him, obviously, but he's not like he could be the weakest unit of a decent. He's line. not a dumpster fire. Glowinski, Glowinski, and Odiambo are not NFL caliber starters. It's, they're just not. They're not there. Uh, to the point that, like, I really want to give some of these other guys on the roster some burn, right? Like, I just want to give them a chance. Like, kick Joko out to tackle and then try try Posic and, and Abushi on the inside. Like, try something different. Or Roos. Someone. Well, yeah, Jordan Roos would be excellent because I think Jordan Roos ha- actually has, like, a real nasty streak and could actually be a real good NFL football player. But I'm not, sh- I'm not 100% sure that they're ready to give him a shot yet. Pete Carroll said that it was going to look a little different this week. And we made a joke in our little chat about... Earl Thomas at right guard, Cam at right tackle. But what do you think they're going to move? Do you think Glowinski comes out? I think it's Glowinski for Abushi. Okay. Yep, I think that's exactly it. It's the kind of conservative move we made in the past when we like swapped out dumpster fires at right tackle. I guess swiping, swiping, uh, pardon me, swapping two guys out is that's pretty drastic of a move. So swapping one makes sense. Yeah, swapping yeah. T- swapping two might be too much. I would love to see Jordan Roos get get some burn though. I think but. we could see that on the bye week. I wouldn't be surprised to see because uh, Nathan has a theory that I think is pretty solid. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So here's my here's. Are, is, it, is it about what I'm about to talk about? about? Uh, it's about Jokel, right? Oh, Jokel's hurt. Yeah, they're hiding Jokel, and so they don't want to put him at tackle. They're hiding Jokel until he's fully healthy. I don't think that he's ready. The Jokel looks off a little bit just in everything he does, uh, just comparative to his tape from last year. And it makes me think that he has some kind of nagging injury that is is not making him able to perform at his full level. What's sad about that is that his half-hurt version is better than all the... Yeah, it's still almost, our second-best offensive line. Right, exactly. It's it's pretty depressing. Uh, let's talk about Russell Wilson. He was Wilson. only beat twice. Let's talk about Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson, in my opinion, is playing hurt. Uh, he... He had an incredible drive at the end of the game. Uh, he ran. He played with a lot of heart in this game. But this is a kind of game where normally Russell Wilson would have had a stat line that's a lot better than 50, uh, 23 for 39 for 198 yards. A terrible, terrible rate of efficiency right there. It, he was floating balls uh, like uh, up the seam, and he was he had like I think I counted four balls that I thought could have been or should have been interceptions i counted three that's great three okay i counted seven total passes where he either sailed it or skipped it yes i counted four that were like uh these are these are very interceptable balls and three that were just straight up dropped by the defense like three that i was like okay those we all we all saw the db uh 
And that's because his throws just seem off. And if you watch him throw, so I would highly recommend if anybody has NFL Game Pass, uh, you know, if you're a season ticket holder, they do send it to you. So check your email. Uh, the they the way he's throwing the ball is different than he has in the past. He's really winding up for it, and he's throwing it, and it makes me think that there's something wrong with his shoulder. His mechanics are not the same as they used to be. You know, he used to have a nice tight throwing motion and throw with a lot of power, and now he's throwing a real loose ball with a and. And, you know, Russell Wilson was a second baseman that wasn't known for his arm when he was a baseball player, right? He was like a... So something makes me think, like, something has gone wrong here. Like, he's gotten a... He's picked up a shoulder injury from from uh, being thrown to the ground too much by, by these defenders. And so I'm, like, starting to worry that at the end of the day, like, Russell Wilson's playing hurt and it's going to come back to bite us. If he doesn't get a shoulder cleanup surgery, and if he goes the whole season and then at the end of the season he doesn't get a shoulder cleanup surgery, I would be stunned. Now, Like, that would be really surprising to me with the way that he looks when he throws. Was he doing this in the Green Bay game? Do you know? Did you look back I, that far? I didn't watch for that when I watched the Green Bay game, so, like, I want to go back and watch it again and see. If Is this was, something as simple as he just, just got like Nick drilled? Perry killed him? Yeah. Or if it was, like, after that? Or if it started at a certain point? Well, let's face it. You don't know what's going to happen in the offseason because we know that he seriously hurt his knee last year, and they didn't say anything about you know, scopes on the knee or any sort of surgery he had. That dude did something to his knee last year. We all saw it. We know something went on. He wore a big chunky brace all year. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's just throwing the whole, the whole throwing game is off because all these timing routes require throwing the ball with a lot of power. You got to really drive the ball in there on these short routes to beat the cornerbacks. And if you're not sure passing game was really working on drives on some drives, it was working and on some drives it's not. And I feel like it's Russell's, otherworldly accuracy that is driving these drives not his ability to really throw really powerfully it it reminds me of like it's like the way his shoulder seems hurt and the way he's throwing is like pennington-esque yeah and it's like pennington was a very accurate thrower and he was able to make up for deficiencies and russell is doing those same things right now and it really bugs me because it's like this is not you don't need to do this like you have been better and it's like i think he's hurt i think we have we have driven him into the ground with our terrible offensive line. We have we have squand- <laughs> we are on some level we are squandering years of an otherworldly good quarterback just for the fact that we're like trying to build our team without with ignoring completely one thing, right? Yeah. And it, it's very frustrating for me. Like I look back on some of the moves. Like we should have kept Okung. He was his own agent and he got a really garbage deal from Denver. Like we could have kept him. And if we didn't keep him, we could have got him back this year, right? Yep. Like we made like that guy was he wasn't great and he was hurt often but he he'd was, still be an upgrade. He was the he would be the best or second best player on offensive line right now. Like the guy can play football. That kind of thing like just saying like yeah, we don't need him. Instead, let's go get Bradley McDougald and uh Sheldon Richardson. Like these are luxury items. We don't need Bradley McDougald. We don't need Sheldon Richardson if Earl Thomas is and Cam Chancellor are fully healthy. It's just these are things we just don't need. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Like it's like it's like we keep we keep piling on all these great defensive pieces and at some point you go, you step back and you say yeah but so what if we can't score 20 points a game what does it even matter are we becoming the rams like you remember when the rams would just nonstop put all their assets into their defensive line and it would make such a fearsome defensive front four or when they put all their money into their offense for all those years with Marshall Falk exactly and yeah it's like they they couldn't do anything other than that. It was just like, we're going to build around this philosophy that this one weapon will be so great. And and it was a great weapon, but in the last 
10 years, what have the Rams done? Absolutely nothing. It's like what the Saints are trying to do right now, right? The Saints are trying to build their team just as one offense. It's just an offensive juggernaut. The Seahawks are the same way with the defense. Yeah. The thing, the difference between the Saints and the Seahawks is the Seahawks get six very winnable games in division every year. And the Saints don't. Like, the Saints division is much more difficult to get through than the Seahawks division. Yeah. And, you know, and there are other things to look at. The sky's not falling. We're making the playoffs. This team is a playoff team in this division. You know, and there were some ugly things. McAvoy had two horrible drops. He dropped a third down conversion that could have kept a drive going. And he dropped a touchdown. The touchdown is. The touchdown touchdown was was a backbreaker. The touchdown is the one I remember. It was a good throw. Like, I was like, that's a really good throw for how. Lots of touch, yeah. For how Russell's throwing, you know, the accuracy on these throws with the with the lowered velocity is pretty incredible. Jimmy had a bad drop on a first down throw. <laughs> Jimmy doesn't look so good this year. He is not a he's not earned the title James Graham once this year. I don't. Uh, think. Luke Wilson had a hold that took back a ten yard run for uh, Carson on a drive. You, do you feel like though Jimmy got hit real hard at the beginning of the game and like just kind of got taken out of the game from that point? Like every once in a while, this will happen to a guy. We, we the Seahawks did it in the past with Vernon Davis, where you just you, the Seahawks did it in the past with Jimmy Graham. You blow a guy up at the beginning of the game, Amen, and then Kevin. he's just he's just mentally not quite in it from that point forward. And I felt like that happened with Jimmy in this game. I feel like it's possible, but he he wasn't slow to get up. It wasn't a Vernon Davis hit like Cam used to lay. It's possible, Nathan, but I feel like that's almost giving him a pass, whether it happened or not. You By know, the by the way, can I give you a Chris Carson stat, Kevin? 58 yards after contact and four missed tackles on his 20 carries. Yep. Those are really good stats for yes. a running back, by the way. I just wanted to throw those out there. You know, also, I was impressed with C.J. Procise. C.J. Procise showed a lot of wiggle and slipperiness yeah. on his pass catching. I just, I just really want to... I don't know. Can he ever run the ball, though? I'd, It'd be nice to put that threat out there. Right. Because... Like, Every time he's on the field now, they just pin their ears back. And they're like, here we come. Yeah, it's, and it's very Procise has shown that he can run it. I you know I had issues with play calling again this game. It was another one of those first half spaghetti, throw everything out there. Second half, okay, well this is what we can do to score just enough points to win. And it's like this is a stupid game plan. Chatting with you guys on it's, during game the day though, I, I pointed this out like I'm not calling my friends stupid, but we know what this team does. This is exactly how we've always done it. Even the year we won the Super Bowl, I brought up the Jacksonville game from 2014. Like this was a game that we blew out Jacksonville, but the first half was still so maddening. And it's what we do. The only difference now is that we're not coming in with the Floyd, Maywe- Floyd Mayweather second half of the bouts and kicking the other team's ass and acclimating to what they do and you know making making them guess second on us. We're just coming out and putting one drive together to save the game. Eric, I'm going to start with you. I have a question that I needed to ask. and in, in your, I knew this was going to come up, so I wanted to get it out of the way. In your opinion, for each of you guys, do you think that any play caller could be successful with the offensive line that the Seahawks have assembled right now? Or do you, do you think that it's just an impossible task? That they've that they've that the coaching the offensive coaching staff has been given. Nathan, I think that's a really good question. We we are always going hard on the assistant coaches. We're going hard on Bevel. We're going hard on Cable. We've kind of given Bevel a pass a little bit. I feel like you know we started the game with rollouts. The first play of the game was a rollout by Russell Wilson. Second play wasn't it also a rollout? I liked this. First one was a uh, yeah Eric Reed. Uh, that was a. It was a rollout. Yeah, it was a rollout on a um, run fake on the first play, and Eric Reed read it to perfection. It's it's still something that you can tell Bevel is trying to get around this offensive line. 
He's having, figuring out how to work without an offensive line again. I was I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question with a question. This isn't like the greatest play call in NFL history, but this team doesn't run many uh, running back screens, and teams are beating our pass rush not very well. But this is how they get their clumps of yardage against us with the running back screen. Is that something that we can do? Because that that's a play where your offensive line just falls apart and you float the ball out. It is okay. This, I'm running, not saying I want to see it more. I just want to know your thoughts. I, and I on can it. tell you why we're not running running back screens and that's because Russell Wilson is 5 foot 11 and a lot of these defensive linemen are 6'5", six, 6'4". Six, I hate and this argument when, even though it's probably true. And when they, when you have one what he's got to do is he's got to throw the ball over those guys. And it's just he's it's incredibly difficult. And and if anybody reads the play right, they're going to blow up the running back, or maybe worse. Yeah, get the interception. It is a very difficult play to pull off. Especially, it's it's difficult in the most perfect of circumstances. And we already have a big strike against us with the fact that he's got to try to throw around or over a guy who is going to be half a foot taller than him. So for me, I would prefer if we didn't run a bunch of screens. That being, that being said, you know, working a few into the playbook is not a bad idea. It's the way the teams are pinning their ears back against us. Well, it's, the bubble screen to lock it is the same play. They, we count that as like our – that's our screen play. It, that plays hard though because it's – It requires a perfect block on the edge from the other receiver. Which right. we, we got that this game and I noticed oh, – But it was a shoestring away from being a minus one yard throw. It was. And it was also not done with Jermaine Curse, so it looked yeah, a little better. Somebody can run yeah. after the catch, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to talk about the offense anymore. It's too, it's depressing. Do you guys do you guys have anything else you wanna you wanna say before we head over to the? Yeah, deep? I want to answer your question real quick. Okay, yes, I do it. think someone could do better play calling with this. I think that uh, Bevel has a specific way that he Who? likes like, to give call me, a game. Give me a guy that you think like could could do. Honestly, better. I think the Giants are doing uh, better on offense with a uh, with a just as broken offensive line. The Giants. Yep. The Giants have like the yeah, Giants most are still not doing good. I agree. First game ever. Like they scored ten points, and what would they score in the other game? Like, well, I don't know. Six. Don't. And what did the Seahawks? Kevin. Score? Kevin's saying though, like our personnel or the Giants' personnel, coaching personnel with our players. Well, but I'm saying not Eli. I, I think, think it's very similar. Like the those two teams are both. They. It's you take everything out of the play caller's hands when you when you put him in a situation like this. I don't think Kyle Shanahan or like who's like the most offensive genius guy you could think of. I don't think anyone could do anything with this offensive line. Michael it's so batty. I wouldn't mind cleaning house just to change the people that are in there. Like I'm not against that, but we also need to change personnel. There's, I agree. Personnel is absolutely holding there, us back. There's no there's no no one in the world could could call plays that would work work 100% of the time with this garbage offensive line. Agreed. Like I, I think they're all nice people. I think they all deserve long careers <laughs> in the NFL. Like Glowinski, I would love him if he was our rotation guard and he just came in uh, to play like ten ten percent of snaps a game, or he or came somebody in, coached him up and got hurt. Like or he could just sit for a few years, but he's not ready. He's just not. He's not an NFL caliber guard right now. You know, here's the thing. I, I think if we're like, let's go ahead and set up culpability. I think that Tom Cable is the guy who goes into the bank and shoots a security guard. And has them put all the money in the bag. If I had to pick I one, think that, I per- think that Daryl Bevel is the getaway driver. If I had to pick one person I'm the most <laughs> mad at, it's They're both definitely, criminals. They're both robbing from the team. It's definitely Tom Cable, though. Like, I, I think Tom most, Cable's public enemy number one, but Bevel's not helping. Tom, Tom, feels like Tom we, Cable's never coached at like a plus-plus offensive line that didn't have Marshawn Lynch as its running back. 
And like I'm starting to think like the running backs that were the years that we had Marshawn Lynch that maybe that was mostly the fact that Marshawn Lynch read, led the league in missed tackles and broken tackles for all of the seasons that we were great. We also had like pretty decent offensive linemen and we paid them. Like yeah, they it, were okay. It, it could have been even better. If you look Carpenter played well for us, then he went to the uh to the Jets and played pretty well for the Jets. Um same could be said for Giacomini. He was bad last year, but yes, he was good until. But he last got year. older, right? Yeah, he's. I don't know what his deal is, and he's not that old. He's like twenty nine, so he but, aged ugly. <laughs> he did. I'm just. I don't know. Let's get to the defense. This was the good side of the ball, except for the fact that we gave up 124 yards rushing to Carlos Hyde. The can I talk about that play real quick? Okay. This is mostly on one play. What was it like? A 68 yard 61 run. 61 yard run. 61 yard run. So uh, if you go back and watch this play, there's a very clear thing that happens. Uh, one is that. Lane could not shed his block, and Lane was supposed to, you could tell, Lane was supposed to get inside and force Hyde to the outside. Instead, he shaded on the wrong side of the blocker and got hung up, and uh, Hyde cut inside of Lane, and you saw Cam Chancellor go smoking right past him and completely miss filling in the hole. <laughs> it looked like the defenders were stuck on the wrong side of the play. Yeah. Like four defenders were like taken out with that first cut just immediately. Yep, and it was you could tell it was a missed assignment from a defensive back and for what from what I could tell I think it was from Lane where they didn't force the run to the outside and there was no help to clean up. Sure, but like Carlos Hyde punished us for it because he's oh, immensely he's really talented. Good. And yeah. it took forever to catch up to him because he's a really strong back. I, I'm going to say this yeah, we could say that, but the rest of the game, he, if you take that run out, he still averaged four yards a carry. Like, he wasn't bad other than that. Well, that's because he loaded up. They also threw for 99 yards. Yeah, we were. clearly said, okay, you don't get to throw the ball. You can run okay. Yeah, Car- um, Bobby Bobby, and KJ, again, were like the heart of the defense in this oh, game. They Bobby, were both, that pick. They were both so good. Here's one thing. I said before the game starts, this is going to put my one good offensive lineman theory to the test, and they San Francisco passed like their line, their line play was passable. It wasn't good, but it was it was passable, uh, good enough that to keep them in the in the game the whole game. Despite the fact that Brian Hoyer looked like um, if Kevin's brother was the quarterback for the San Francisco Forty ers like just some guy who's like pretty good at throwing, but like just a guy, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was like Brian Hoyer looked terrible in this game. I was like. I was like, what happened to Hoyer the Destroyer? Is he too many injuries? Like, <laughs> he yeah. had time to throw. <laughs> he looked like hot garbage all game. Was he was like, really mad happening? at his team, too. I don't know if like the, he forgot he was on the 49ers. or. or I think what happened was what he was. got harassed the whole game, and we could harass him with only four. That's Wagner's interception, yeah, and I'll, he got his hands on another ball. He was just hanging out in the middle of the field, reading yep. the quarterback's eyes. That was that's what, it. That's what I was thinking, Kevin, is that the fact that like he would – he would have a little bit of time to throw, you know, be like one, two, three, four, and then the clock on his head's going off. Like I gotta get rid of the freaking ball. Like this is not good. Like these guys are gonna get to me. It's gonna happen eventually. Yep. And then nobody's getting open. And so he's really frustrated because he has to play with a, you know, like he only the, the thing that's crazy to me. Yeah, so he many only dump targeted offs. like like seven different receivers, and like a bunch of them were guys I'd never even heard of. Yep. Like who's Matt Breda? <laughs> who's who's George Kittle? Who's Trent Taylor? Like, who are these people? That's probably what he's frustrated about. Is that three point seven? Man, he has to play with you know Garrett Selleck. That's the bad Selleck. That's the one you don't want to have on your team. <laughs> so it's it, it was a uh, bad Selleck. <laughs> what? There's two of them. So so it's There's three of them. There is. 
Yeah. Oh man, is one this of them. One is, of them. Is uh, this like the Gronkowski's though, or one, no, of, one of them solved crime in a Hawaii? No. Oh, oh gosh. All right. <laughs> dun dun uh, dun dun. Ding, ding. Sorry. So anyway, uh, the defense looked good. It, uh, I would like to see the pass rush dominate the game a little bit more. Like, you know, the the two sacks thing is pretty a pretty big letdown. The fact that I thought they affected a ton the, of plays though. The only the only PFF, but the. The only PFF 80-rated player or over in our defensive line was Bennett. But Bennett was really good. Another thing, too, is they coughed up a lot with penalties in this game. Like, stupid penalties. There were some bad ones. Like, also, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this, too, that, though. Because those those rate you down a lot. When you do a stupid offsides like Averill did, like they're like, okay, minus five. Like, yeah, and that up. hurt Clark, which sucks, because Clark had that safety that wasn't a safety magically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a... It's funny, it I actually, like... I looked away. That was a beautiful play. And then you have to. You also have to remember, uh, Clark also had the strip sack on the late timeout, where only like one out of yeah. eight people on the field realized there was a timeout. Well, that's what you do. You call a timeout after the play starts. It's a really good idea, well, right? I like to. I like that safety because I missed it. Like I, I was looking away for a second, and then I watched. It. I was like, "Oh, sweet, we got a safety." I wish I had missed it. And then, like the announcer said, it was a safety. Did they say anything about why it wasn't nope. a safety? And, and, and they also didn't show the immediate replay to show you, like, oh, his foot was actually on the yeah. yard line. They did not show any replays of it. So I watched it on the replay. It, it seemed was like clearly a safety. a safety. It seemed like a safety to me every time I watched it. Uh, uh, I was confused about it. Here, you you want a you wanna stat the, that will make you happy? Uh, the San Francisco went 2 for 12 on third downs. Uh, CX went 8 for 19 also, so we weren't that great on that either. Uh, but without that really allowed us to get our guys off the field and get the offense back on the field. And yeah. you know what? The offense has played bad, but you got to give them chances. They can't do anything without opportunities. That's it. Uh, Eric, is, uh, the secondary. I know you're like a you are Mr. Cam Chancellor uh, Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas, yeah, man. Uh, I didn't think it was the best performance from them, but like it was pretty good. Is there anything you noticed in the secondary? Uh, the only thing I'll say I notice is I think San Francisco. Let me finish here. They did a good job of taking Earl Thomas out of the game by not being able to have much on offense. Like, if you want Earl Thomas to have a great game, you're looking at, you know, you have to pass his direction, which is the entire field. With 99 yards passing, Brian Hoyer floated the ball five yards past the line of scrimmage most time. Earl Thomas wasn't there. Earl Thomas didn't really need to do much outside of beat insurance policy on running downs. Cam, uh, Cam looked, I don't know, above average because he's Cam. But at the same time, like I thought outside of the, the play that Kevin described where you know four people were taken out of that play, Cam was out of that play uh, on that big Carlos Hyde run. I thought it was an average to above average game by Cam. It wasn't bad. It just all right, let me, let me it ask was some, an ugly game all the way around. Let me ask some pointed questions. All right? uh, Jeremy Lane played 100% of snaps. Shaq Griffin played 41% of snaps. Would you like to see that even out a little bit, or do you think that is correct? Eric, start with you. I like to see a little more Shaq Griffin. I like to see him in and maybe 60%. I don't really know how much learning he's going to be doing with only 40% of on-field snaps. But He also plays on every special teams play. Yeah, I, yeah, I but I mean I mean defense. I think that I know, you know, we got Jeremy Lane back this game cuz he wasn't, you know, thrown out for a bogus punch, but I don't know. I don't I don't feel like having Shaq in this game would have hurt us. Kevin, do you, more, I should say. would you like to see that tilt more in Shaq's direction, or do you think that, that Jeremy Lane should be getting the first team snaps? Specifically for this game, I would like to see Shaq Griffin out there because I felt like this was a good offense for him to get reps against. Um, I think that was a product of the fact that the 49ers ran out a ton of uh, two tight end sets, and so he only had two corners on the field. If we'd had three corners on the field, he'd have gotten a more adequate number of snaps. 
Uh, we went with Michael Wilhoyt a lot in this game over Brad. It seemed like over Bradley McDougal. That was the person whose snaps were most noticeably down to me. Uh, do you, is the is the big nickel dead? Like, are we not going to run out the three safeties, or are we, um, is it is is the Michael Wilhoyt? Like, are we going to play with three linebackers a lot? Is Wilhoyt like a real guy that we should be watching? I'll start with Kevin. Uh, I'd much rather see the big safety, but the I mean big, the, big, the big nickel. You mean? Yeah, that big nickel. I think is I think would have been a really nice play. I think McDougal has shown that he can fill in the run, and he can cover a tight end very well. Um, Wilhoyt makes sense, but like. Honestly, I'm not really sure why that was the decision. It worked, but these are, I, I don't I don't understand it. By the way, these are the bones I have to pick with the way that uh, McDougal McDougal does only play like I think like 14 defensive snaps the whole season, and I, I don't really or no seven. He's played seven defensive snaps the whole season. That just that blows. I'm really my, glad we signed him instead of an offensive lineman. Le- the <laughs> level of talent that McDougal has and the amount of money we spent, the opportunity cost we gave up by not getting an offensive lineman is. Like, let me give you an example. We could have got King Dunlap for that money. And, like, yeah, King Dunlap's not that good. I will admit it. But he's way better than everyone else we have starting at tackle. So, like, that's just one example of a guy we could have had instead of Brad McDougal. Well, it's just like watching Cam Robinson play, like, a league average offensive tackle. And instead we have Malik McDowell in half of his face. Yeah, who may never play again. I don't really do not want to talk about Malik McDowell. And Nas, Nas Jones looks good, though. Nas Jones looks great. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't play very much, but when he's on the field, I'm really excited about what he's what he's capable of. Do you of. think Bradley McDougal is maybe not fitting into the defensive schemes the way they think he will? Like maybe that big nickel was I, something that looks I'm good of, on paper? I'm of the opinion that Cam and Earl have been getting hurt in the last couple seasons, and they wanted a real insurance policy, someone who could step in and play either position at a very high level. And they have that guy. At this point, they're not using him on the defense enough for me to think like they have a real. They're really invested in him as a every down player. Yeah, I also think that uh, Pete Carroll talk- has a formula on defense, and I think he sticks to his formula. And his formula is a really base four three. Yeah, yeah. when he can do it, base four three and a regular nickel. And I mean, with Lane in the slot and Shaq on the outside, they're confident in that that setup, so they don't need McDougal to play hardly at all. And with Shed coming back, it'll be even more so. It's uh, it's a little depressing that we have a guy of such talent. Maybe we're trying to bury him so we can get him back next year. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracy. That's a deep bury right there. All right, so uh, that's the offense and the defense. You guys ready to get into our next week game? A little special teams. Blair Walsh. Missed what? extra point. What yeah, whatever. whatever. Uh, all right. special teams. Uh, you have to talk about all three phases, Nate. That's what people tune in for. This week, Seattle heads to face <laughs> the, the, the the national darling, the, the team of the season, the team that the post-hype team of the season, the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans are 2-0, correct? Come on. Please help me. Aren't they 1-1? One one? They're 1-1. One one. They lost, yeah, to, they they lost, lost to Oakland. Oakland. To Oakland. <laughs> they went to Jacksonville and took care of business. Now they head to they, uh, Seattle heads to Tennessee. To face the Titans Nissan on FedEx live game. on Amer- America's Game of the Week on Fox, but the thing is, th- okay, it's a late game. I want to I want to do this, Kevin and Eric. How come every game is America's Game of the Week on Fox? Because it, I'm watching the Red Zone, <laughs> and every time they cut to a Fox game, the announcer says this is America's Game of the Week. Only one of these can be America's Game of the Week. They can't all be America. Then they're America's Games of the Week. Fox, get it together. You're confusing me. Hey man, you got to have Cleveland feel good about something. All right, so let's let's talk about the ten, let's talk let's talk about a little know your enemy. enemy. What do, what do we know about the Tennessee Titans, Kevin? Well, we know that when they run the ball, 
they tend to do they tend to do well. They have a very stout offensive line. Okay. We know they run a three four defense that relies on pressure from outside linebackers. Okay. Um, we know that uh, Marcus Mariota. Oh, oh I was going to say I, I was going to kick it over to Eric for the weapons though. So, okay. so don't say anything about Mariota. <laughs> Let's let Eric tell us. Eric, tell me about the weapon. They got some offensive weapons, right? Yeah. And okay. Then we, and then I'm going to kick back to Kevin for the, they got a couple interesting rookies on offense that I think Kevin will know more about than any of us. Yeah, Mariota is good when he plays. I mean, this is a guy who really hasn't had a bad NFL game or a miserable NFL game. He's had an interesting career not being on the field the whole time. They used to have this uh, this running back that was pretty popular. Used to be at Dallas, and now he's been usurped by yeah. the. There's a there's a running back controversy brewing here for yeah. the tight for Titans fans where there's carries to go around. De- Demarco Murray is good and has played good, but he he does get injured. That's part of his thing. Like yep. he's, he's had injuries his whole career. And Derrick Henry has been good. Derrick, you're yeah, right. Derrick, Derrick Henry. I don't. I said he's usurped the role from uh, from Demarco Murray, but. I believe this will pro- kind of probably go into a timeshare. Yeah, Kevin's right. They're going to end up. They're going to end up both getting about. But that's 15 two solid running backs that most teams have. Like one plus running back, one good running back. These are two really good running backs for this team. Sure. And they, they're probably because t- of the offensive and their tight line. end is excellent as well. Delaney Walker. Uh, Delaney a great Walker tight end. is. He was the best tight end on the 49ers when they chose to have Vernon Davis instead. I don't know. We talk about Why Jimmy did they Graham. Do that? We talk about Jimmy Graham being like a, a wide receiver. But you know Delaney Walker can actually block and he can move like a wide receiver. Yeah, he's huge. He's like six yeah. one. He's only like six one, but he's like two fifty, like two sixty. He's a total package. Very athletic. You know, actually, what he is is he is an undersold Jason Witten. Okay, and then they have they have two veteran wide receivers. Or they got Weem, or they got Decker, and they got Rashard Matthews, who have both been pretty decent this season. Yeah, uh, Decker's flying under the radar. I feel like he's going to get better. He's going to be used more. He's a possession receiver. Uh, what do you What do you think, uh, Kevin? Let's go into them rookies, man. Yeah, what's what, give me? Tell us about Corey Davis and Taylor Lewan, the two rookie wide receivers that they've brought in to kind of round out their receiving core. All right, so Taylor Lewan is uh, or Taylor Taywan. Sorry, sorry, Taylor. Sorry, it's yeah, because they have the I, I screwed Lewan. you up because Taylor Lewan is their world class left tackle. That's my bad. He's Who we very also good. should have had. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dude, you don't have to tell me twice. Taylor Lewan is so good at football. So uh Taiwan Taylor is uh he's from, he's out of Western Kentucky, which is a um a prolific offense. Uh so this is kinda like picking up like a Baylor guy or something, you know. Uh this is a guy who is very athletic and so he's kind of a field stretcher. Um He's just kind of a piece, you know. Uh, he's not really a key cog in what they're doing. He's just a piece of how they function. The really interesting guy here is Corey Davis, which he should be. He was a top ten pick. Corey Davis is a precise route runner. He is a, a reliable receiver. He's a hands guy, but he can run after the catch a bit. He played for a directional Michigan team in college, which that's meant that, how you do it. Yeah, uh, which meant that you know he people were going, well, what was the competition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is a guy where when you watched him play against top tier competition, or when you watched him run drills, he looks like the real deal, and it's showing through. He's got a couple of nagging injuries slowing him down at the beginning of the year, but this is a guy who runs like you know those Doug Baldwin precise routes where just the way he runs it gives you the separation. He's that guy, and you can time him. 
One thing that one thing that I remember from watching a little bit of his his film after he got drafted because I hadn't heard of him, so I was like, okay, I gotta watch like some YouTube videos. Of this guy, he has really good control over his body, yes. just in general. Like in the air, he has good control over his body, but also on the ground, uh, he just he's in he's in control. He plays in control, and I really like that about him. Um, okay. Oh, I also want to talk a little bit about another rookie. Uh, oh. They have a tight end, Johnu Smith, who's like just a highly athletic. Uh, receiving tight end, and he's getting some looks in their offense on two tight end sets. Having him and Delaney Walker out there is kind of a matchups nightmare. Like he's like you would want to run Big Nickel if both those guys come out because I wouldn't be confident in Will Hoyt being able to manage either of them. Having KJ on one of them, he can keep up, but you need someone with some speed to handle those two tight ends. Kevin, I feel like that is. I love that you brought that up. That is how I think Tennessee is going to attack the Seahawks defense. All right, and let's talk about their defense a little bit. They have um they have actually like three or four players that I would say are really good on this defense. Uh, they have Brian Arakpo, who's like a perennial pass rusher, someone you've heard about. He gets a lot of sacks. Uh, they have uh, Logan Ryan, the cornerback they got from New England, who is uh, kind of they, – they used him to replace McCourty. But let's be honest. At this point in his career, he's better than McCourty yep. by, by quite a fair margin. And uh, then the perennial underrated Jarrell Casey, who is like – he's flown under the radar for a really long time. Uh, he – He's but he's really good. In the last game against uh, the Jaguars, he had one hit and three hurries in the passing game and three stops in the run game. He's just a complete player. He's really he's really good at football. Uh, I'm a I'm a big like Jarrell Casey fan. He's he's just really he's really really good and someone to watch on their defensive line. Yeah, he's a top five uh, nose tackle honestly. against. Or I, I would say he, I mean, he, 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 he does not play the nose gap. He's not big enough for that. No, but they have Sylvester Williams, who's like a pretty good nose tackle. Yeah, and also uh, they picked up Wesley Woodyard, who I think is one of those great inside linebackers who just knows his job mm-hmm. and does his job well, every you, time. When you pick, when you decide, like, hey, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick the bones of Denver's defense and get a couple of their guys. Yeah, that's a good plan. Denver's defense is really good. So when you bring in Wood, Woodyard and Williams from Denver's defense from last year as some of your new guys, that's a great plan for building out your defense. Yeah, and then they have Derek Morgan to compliment uh, Brian Arakpo. Derek Morgan's one of those guys, he gets you five or six sacks every single year. And so having Arakpo on the other side to be the big pass rushing threat, you know, a team like Seattle has to worry because you can't help both sides. One thing that's weird about Morgan is he's seen he's pretty big for a four for a three four outside linebacker. Yeah, he's uh, like he's like a thin defensive he, end. He reminds me of yeah he reminds me more of a, like a hybrid hybrid guy a guy who plays like the Leo. I'm saying like too much. He's the guy <laughs> guy who plays the Leo position. Uh, than the Seahawks' old defensive style, where it's almost a hybrid three four four three thing. Yeah, he's like six four two fifty. Something like that. He's oh, no, a big, big dude. Bigger. I I would. Get, he's two. He's listed in the in the in the in the book as two seventy eight uh, in the press guide. Oh, that's a lot bigger than I thought. So because he can that move that bulk he, pretty that well. That would mean he's probably actually closer to two ninety. Most guys get bigger after they join the NFL, and they never change that weight in the press book. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> so yeah. so he's he's really big for for a guy who plays on the outside linebacker, but he still can move. Like there's no doubt about it. Um, Adora Jackson, I like him. It's a rookie they picked up. He returns their kicks and punts. Uh, pretty good player. He's made some mistakes in the first couple games, a couple pretty bad ones as a nickel corner. Uh, so he's not ready to be a cornerback yet, but he is probably ready to just you know be a contributor. This will always be Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson's uh, ceiling is a poor man's Patrick Peterson. He's one of those guys who will gamble for the ball too much. You saw this at USC, and so that's how he ends up getting burned. So considering the three wide receiver set that the Seahawks can run out, it, don't be surprised if 
Baldwin or Richardson or Lockett gets loose on a Dory Jackson and turns him on like a double move, and that yeah. could be a potential long touchdown if the blocking yeah. can hold if, out long if enough. If a Dory Jackson ever develops route recognition, he'll be one of the best cornerbacks in the league. That he'll be a steal in the second round pick. Yeah. <laughs> but, or for late, first, first. late first rounder, yeah. But the fact of the matter is right now he does not recognize routes super well. He struggles He relies with on being an athlete. Uh, and He's a good enough athlete that a lot of the time it doesn't matter. But when you're five ten, you go against Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin, when he's against a small cornerback, is going to try to he's going to try to pick on him because he's like, finally, <laughs> finally, <laughs> I don't have to look up at. They just muscle you because people, you know, people have been the big corner thing has really taken off because of us. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get to picks. Uh, we've talked enough about this team. Uh, is there any individual matchups that you're you're worried about other than I already brought up the one I'm worried about, Jarrell Casey versus our interior offensive line. I've already brought up the two tight end set that I think they're going to attack us with. Delaney Walker is going to have a field day against us if we don't use Earl the way he should be used. Or uh, KJ's you know, been great in coverage this year. Like, yeah, but at the same time, don't, like, don't sleep on him. KJ isn't going to be able to take that long run downfield, and I feel like that is how Tennessee will get us. All right, so you like the Titans? I'm, I'm, oh yeah. Well, I mean, as far as my pick go, that's my worry. That's that's the matchup that I'm. I'm looking at with a worrisome eye for my pick. Yeah, I I kind of wanted to take this whole season as picking the Seahawks no matter what. I kind of made that vow, but I just I can't do it. This offensive line is bumming me the hell out. I mean, we talk about it every year about how you know squandered chances at a championship or at least a championship run. And right now, the offensive line it's it's a joke that is not funny. And the Tennessee Titans, I think, are going to beat us by over 10 points. All right. Kevin. You know, I'm more worried about the run game. We need to remain disciplined or else we will get gashed. Their offensive line is too good. Their running backs are too good. I need to see people really hold down their job against this run game. And the other thing I worry about is what I listed. They have some talented exterior pass rushers especially brian arakpo and our tackles are terrible in pass coverage or in pass blocking so those are the matchups i worry about and those are the matchups that lead me to believe that tennessee has the run game that can hold on to the ball for a long time they have enough people that can put pressure between Jarrell casey and brian arakpo morgan everybody else they have to really give our offensive line and therefore our offense a lot of trouble all right. Unless a different team takes the field that has figured things out, I see Tennessee walking away with the win. I see it something along the lines of 17-13. I'm, I'm expecting the offense to play a lot better, and this offensive line for Tennessee is really good. I expect some real aggression out of our defensive line. They have been good in the first two games, but they have not dominated a game yet. Uh, they have not just taken over a game. This is a game where our defensive line can take over. And if our defensive line takes over this game, watch out. It could get really interesting really fast. I really like um, this game to be razor close. I don't I don't think the – I would be really sad if we lost by 10 or more points, Eric. Uh, just want to let you know that would, that would make a grown man cry. Uh, I'm going to pick the Seahawks in this one. Sorry. I'm going to set the Seahawks to pull off the win 28 to 17. Okay. Uh, real quick with that, I just want to bring up – if the defensive line takes over, that's impressive because Marcus Mariota doesn't get sacked. Right. And it's because he's he's not he's fast and plays behind a good offensive line. Yeah. This is the kind of game where they have they they should Oakland got to him once. Bill Belichick. Jacksonville got to him once. Bill Belichick, he go he would go into the locker room this week and say, No one believes in this team right now. 
Everyone thinks we suck. Everyone thinks our offense can't play. Everyone thinks that this defensive line isn't good. Isn't that good? Everyone thinks we suck. Bill, that's not what Pete's going to do because he's Mister Positivity. Yay! You know, it's like it's. But that's what they need to hear right now. They need to hear that out there. No one believes in the Seahawks right now. Seahawks have dropped clearly down to tier two. They're the tenth best team in the league to most people right now. Nobody believes they can win the Super Bowl. They need to get that us against the world mentality going right now. That's what's going to turn the team from from where they are now to where they need to be. Uh, that's that's where I'm at. So there All you right. go. Uh, okay. Uh, money zone. Give us money. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Now, you know what? You could just give us money, but you get something in return. Every week we've been posting our picks up on Patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest in a mini podcast we call the Quick Shot. It's about 20 minutes long. And, and we've been uh, right a so lot. far. Yeah. So far, none of us have picked worse than 24 and 7. That's right. 24 and 7 is our worst for picking straight up the games in the NFL. That would put us ahead of all the uh, stupid ESPN guys. So, so if you want to sound smarter than your friends, listen to us make picks and then just copy it. Yeah, actually, there's only like 13 people that are Patreon subscribers. And so they're the only other people yeah. that would know. Downright I think, eerie. I think that the, the real thing you should do is start fading us because there's no way it can last. <laughs> start, start, just start, make a parlay against all of our picks because there's no way this can keep going. Uh, all right. Gotta step off from this hot fire. So I thought uh, another ways you can support us, you can go to twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest, Facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest. Give us a like or a follow. Uh, just so you guys know, SoundCloud numbers are, are out of control right now. I thought this is crazy. The number of plays we get we're getting per week are just are uh, it's out of bounds. Last week we got four hundred and twelve uh, plays on this newest episode. And that uh, was with a 24-hour lapse. We have 120 uh, listeners up in Canada. Uh, so thank you to Calgary, Canada, Vancouver, BC, Canada, the two major cities who are... Go Flames. Also, every week I look at the top cities from people that listen to us. And, you know, it's all it's a bunch of Seattle or Seattle-based cities. Cities that I think, okay, these are cities that like... Uh, thing. But the number, number two or number three city every time, San Francisco, California. Hey, San Francisco 12s, you're out there. What is it like being in enemy territory? And what what did you say this week when you went back to work? I gotta know. Okay, so send us a, <laughs> send us a message on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll we'll talk about it next week in the Money Zone here on the podcast. All right, uh, movies this week. Matthew Vaughn releases uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. So I thought it'd be fun if we had a Matthew Vaughn a thon. That's right, the Matthew Vaughn a thon. So we're gonna talk about the movies that Matthew Vaughn has directed. There are six six of them. Layer Cake, Stardust, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Kingsman the Secret Service, and Kingsman the Golden Circle. Let's start off with Layer Cake, his oldest film. Uh, the film that gave us Roger Craig. The film that I'm the only person who's seen all the way through, so I'm going to go quick on this. Uh, Layer Cake is a, a movie where you don't know if you're supposed to root for the protagonist or not, and the movie does nothing to push you in either direction. And by the end of the movie, you're still left wondering, am I, am I, am I for the protagonist or against him? Uh, that's that's how I feel about Layer Cake, but it did give us Daniel Craig, the action star, who has been a very, he has revived James Bond uh, to a level that has not been seen. So I uh, I appreciate Layer Cake, even if it's not like it's not in my top like hundred movies or anything. I'll just say this: you the way you described it though is like the perfect way to describe film. You know, like it leaves you as, asking the question: you know, do you want to root for this guy or not? I just it wasn't nearly as exciting as your wrap of it. Okay, that's that's all I'll say. It's just the movie doesn't. It, it never really grabbed me the way I wanted it to. Um, so yeah, all right. Anyway, Matthew Vaughn also produced a bunch of the the Guy Ritchie movies, Lock, Stock, Snatch, stuff like that. So he does have other movie experience of movies I love. Uh, Stardust is a 
is a vehicle they made a uh, Neil Gaiman book, Stardust, into a, a, a movie. Uh, it's a good movie. It's a very enjoyable film. Have you either got, have you either guys seen it? No, I've not. I have not. I'm gonna prefer not to talk about it. Then it's not it's not a ten out of ten or anything. I like Neil Gaiman, but so it, I will end up. Reading it's a the solid. Book for sure. It's a solid like seven out of ten. It was on HBO for a really long time. I'm not sure if it is anymore. Uh, it's it is a quite enjoyable movie. Uh, it's not like the best. Okay, let's let's just throw that out there. But it's it's good. Then let's get to the three. Let's get to the ones that we can talk about a lot. All right, let's start with Kickass, Eric. You have a, a take on Kick-Ass. Uh, how do you feel about Kick-Ass? I thoroughly enjoyed Kick-Ass. Uh, Kick-Ass is a movie about what if, it's based on a comic book, what if superheroes were real, meaning vigilantes, people dressing up, kind of like Batman, but without money. Um, you know, ex-cops with a lot of guns, wannabe teenage Spider-Man without Spider-Man powers. It's it's kind of a thoroughly enjoyable movie, although it is uh, it's gratuitous in many ways. I really enjoyed Nick Cage in this movie. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage puts in puts in work in this movie. Yeah, and yes. Nicholas Cage is known as like the actor, and now I'm saying like a lot. He's known as the actor who puts a little too much into his role. Yeah, he hams it up. Yeah, he goes for it. Every, every director says, you know, Nick Cage is going to go for it, but it works so well in this movie. This role needed it, right? Yeah, this role needed it, and I feel like Nick Cage needed this movie to stay reputable. And he does. This also is a, a breakout performance by Chloe Grace Moretz. Is yep, that her that's name? That's correct. I was just about to mention. Oh, that. hey, yeah, you got her up. Um, she's she's phenomenal in this movie. It showed her acting chops at a very young age. The kid who's in Avengers and Godzilla is the star of Kickass. You're gonna have to give me his Aaron name. Johnson. Aaron Johnson, a very regular white person name. This guy is actually a pretty <laughs> good actor. For yeah, but not quick, really... got quick. So he's Quicksilver, and he's good in those like. He's a good actor. Uh, yeah. he, Quicksilver was the best part of the um, first one he was in. Captain and America, the Winter Soldier? Avengers 2, I think, is what you're thinking. Oh, that he, he, Winter he Soldier was, was first. Was oh, he in Winter mistake. Soldier? It's a cameo. But oh, yeah. It's a cameo. It's, he, it's at the very end. I will say that <laughs> it's, it's hardly It doesn't there. count. But, however, this, this movie also features the guy who played McLovin in yeah, Superbad. Yeah, the bad guy. Yep. As uh, the Red Mist, kind of a... He's he's very much a red herring. And the whole way that was done was well done. It really was. And Mark Strong is the big bad of this movie, like the mob boss who wants these vigilantes killed. And it's it's not like a Spider Man movie. We have to kill Spider Man, and we do all these things. No, he just wants to go up to these vigilantes, shoot them in the head, because he's making them lose. He's they're making him lose money, and it's that's when I say gratuitous. It's very violent, and it's not realistic at all, but. For a second, you think it might be. It's more violent than I think people walked in expecting. Yeah. Because you walk in and you're like, and this was kind of in, this was as the big superhero flood, the floodgates were opening. And it was like, oh, it's a superhero movie, but they're kids superheroes. No, no, this is people getting the crap kicked out of them for like two hours. Like, there are several scenes you're like, that guy... Like, it's uncomfortable. This is closer yes. to the Daredevil uh, Marvel show. kids, too. Where it's kids, and you're like, that guy just got hit in the face with a pipe, and his face is bleeding, and this is this is terrible, folks. It's Mark Millar, wrote, or Mark Miller, I don't know how you say his last name. He is a very graphic comic book writer, and it was pretty much a verbatim adapt- 
adaptation of his work. But this was a good movie. It was a well-constructed movie, well shot. I agree with what you said about Nick Cage. I thought that he brought the right amount of kind of flamboyance to the role. He looks like Batman, they, but they Kevin, tried they tried is, to recapture that in the second movie with Jim Carrey and all. it didn't work didn't very good. Didn't see it. What did, what is his name in the movie? Matthew Kevin? Vaughn didn't make this didn't didn't uh, direct the second Nicholas movie. Cage's movie? No, I don't remember. Uh, Nathan, do you remember Nick Cage's character's uh, name? Big Daddy. Big Daddy. That's right. Thank yeah, you. I knew it. Uh, all right. X-Men First Class was his next film. Uh, it was a, a, a throwback revival of the X-Men series. Uh, I really enjoy X-Men uh, First Class, and I especially enjoy the fact that throughout the movie you get to get Bacon a whole bunch, right? <laughs> because Kevin Bacon is the primary villain in this movie. Yes, it's he sweet. is. Like this movie, I think this movie is really interesting, and it, it's really uh, in, an enjoyable flick. I feel like it was probably the most X-Men film out of any X-Men film made. They, because it, it dealt with the young misfits like you've never seen in any film before. And it really made it made you like the X-Men again because people were starting to really get sick of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this movie was like, oh, this is why I like the X-Men. I like this movie. It never felt, like any of the other movies, it never felt like a school for gifted youngsters because it was a school for guys in their 30s or 40s. And now there's these two like side-by-side running X-Men features that... You got the X-Men Apocalypse movies, and you got these other X-Men movies, and they're kind of like... They feel separate, even though they're not, right? Like, you got these two... They are very separate. I thought Apocalypse was, like, a step back to the old X-Men movies. They're dueling right now. Fox is trying all they can to hold on to that franchise and not give it back to Marvel. They're just letting anyone make an X-Men movie, I think. Pretty much. To keep it. it. Well, I think for for our generation... Uh, when you think of X-Men, the first thing I think of is X-Men, Saturday morning, Fox cartoon, you know, know, and I do agree with you guys. I think First Class was the movie that captured that feel the best. Uh, It felt very ensemble. It felt, um, and it, it had, it embraced its cheese factor in a way I thought was a little bit more enjoyable. I feel like the other movies are more checking boxes. This one got to be a little more loose and fun, and so they kind of played with some ideas. And it did make it. I, it was high on the watchability scale. It's a movie where you're like, oh, this is on FX. Sure. It also featured Banshee, which was <laughs> one of my favorite X Men. Yeah, and and I mean, they made him somewhat believable in this universe. I mean, Matthew good. Vaughn wrote Days of Future Past, or at least he got a writing credit on it. Uh, and I think that that was like. You after that you can see that his influence kind of stopped on the series. Apocalypse was like more like the old X Men X One X Two X Three, though that series of X Men. It felt like a throwback to that as opposed to what is. And I'm hoping Dark Phoenix is good, but I I doubt it. Just the uh, title alone makes me feel like it's gonna be another one of those movies. Uh, it's just, they're dry. Uh, all right, and then so. Before we get to X Men Dark Phoenix, let's get to the let's get to the the, the main event here. We got Eggsy. In the, uh, the main character of Kingsman, the Secret Service. I just wanted to say, I'm going to say Eggsy as many times as possible. I just love that they made me not hate somebody whose name was Eggsy. Oh, Eggsy's the best, dude. He's like a he's like a, a street punk who, uh, you know, he he's got the he's got the and then in the movie he's got this. Uh, it's like a um, it's like a medal that someone gave him when he was a baby, and it has a phone number on the back, and it's like call this number if you ever need need help or if you ever need anything or yeah. something like that, and. uh well, when he gave it to him, he said, you know, if you ever need anyone, uh, you know, call this number. And so he call, he calls the number, right? And then, or does he, does he call the number or not? I can't remember. 
You know, I'm like having trouble remembering how the beginning of this movie goes. Kevin, you watched it most recently. What happens at the beginning of this movie? Uh, uh, I can't remember if he calls the number or not, but they're kind of keeping an eye on him. Right, because he's because he's like he's skilled and he he was entering to be a marine and dropped out or a royal whatever. You're running this backwards. Uh, what happened was his father was part of an elite institution um, recruited from the military and ended up dying in service. Yeah, but Eggsy was like a... Eggsy was just a, a, a London punk. Um, he didn't really have the opportunity to do anything he was talking oh, about during the military. But I remember he what happens. He, he steals up a, in the training. He steals a car and he's in jail and he calls the number on the medal That's when he's happens. in jail. When he finally gets to caught in jail, there you uh, go. Yeah, I was the one before the podcast before we did this talking about how I didn't really have much to say about this movie. I was just sitting here, just swimming, watching you guys try and remember this. That was I was like, come on, this- you remembered it, yeah, like right away. And you didn't say anything. What a dick! I just loved watching <laughs> you guys go for it. All right. So anyway, throughout the movie, he discovers that there's a uh, there is a group of secret uh, agents called the Kingsmen, who all have cheesy, corny uh, Galahad. Uh, yeah, it's nice little round table. I uh, think it's names. great. It's my favorite uh, part. It's really good. Uh, Arthur, like all the. They're, I'm they're, super happy about it. They're all named like that, and they. Uh, Sorry, you don't have a soul, Nathan. And then anyway, Samuel Jackson plays in just this is the best part. An of the movie. awesome Let's bad be guy. Honest. Samuel Jackson is the villain of this movie, and he has a lisp. <laughs> And he's fantastic. He, he, he has makes, an aversion to seeing blood. It's so good. He eats McDonald's at every meal. Like, there's just so... The, the thing that's cool about this movie is the, the details. It's very detailed, and the action's really fun. It's over the top. The whole he's movie's like a over the top. He's like if Mark Cuban was a supervillain. It's really good. Well, it takes, it takes the idea that, you know, the, the, the villain is supposed to be the exact opposite. And so when you're looking at the opposite, you have... Just little differences, little opposites, and it's it's really brilliant when you think about it. I think Mark Hamill has a really good cameo in here as the uh, abducted professor. Was that Mark Hamill? It's Mark Hamill. I had no idea. Hey, who wrote this? Uh, is this based on a comic book, Nathan? Yes. Is it by Mark Millar? Yes. Knew it. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Millar, Dave Gibbons, of course, uh, make that made this comic book. Uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 all over the top. To be honest, it makes me think like I really hope that these guys get their hands on the wanted property because I that's oh, my be so good. That's my favorite uh like Mark Millar comic and I want them to make a really good movie out of it, not just change all the lore to make it for, to force it into like a really corny 2-hour movie. I don't know. That's that's my opinion. Saw that movie with you at the drive-thru, I believe, Nathan. It was not a bad movie, it was just not a good movie. They just they had Mark Millar write the treatment, but they changed Every, just about best, everything. Best part of that that movie, the guy who the primary antagonist of the main character, like the guy in Wanted, who the main character is mad at the whole movie, is played the douchebag guy is played by Chris Pratt. Is it really? <laughs> yes, I haven't seen that at the so end of the long. movie. Remember, remember how he goes back and he hits him in the face with a keyboard, and the letters "fuck you" come out of the yes, keyboard. Yes, yeah. The guy getting hit in the face with a keyboard, Chris Pratt. Wow. Yeah. So to I jump back it. into Kingsman real quick, uh, I want to say Colin first character Harry Hart is excellent the whole movie. Great name too. Uh, Harry he Hart. is just a great character, and he really they do a great job of building an entire world. It's that thing we talked about with John Wick. Oh, they build a world yeah, and lore, a lore without without like like feeding like force feeding it to and you. Don't forget you Michael Ka- Michael Caine's Arthur is excellent. Michael Caine's Arthur mm-hmm. is excellent. Yeah, I um, love Michael Caine. Uh, really, Mark, the casting is spot movie. on. Yeah, 
they got Mark Hamill to do a movie, which is like really hard to do in in this day and age. It seems like he doesn't really want to be in movies; he just wants to do voice work. So it's cool that he's in this movie. Uh, the other thing that I like about this movie a lot is the action scenes are just really well shot, well choreographed, well shot. You feel like you aren't bouncing around the camera all the time, and they use props and the environment in ways that are fun. It it's makes, lighthearted but violent. It makes you feel kind of like what Zack Snyder was. What people said Zack Snyder did. The action is this exciting. movie pulls off. This movie is over the top, but it's not dark. It's cheeky and fun, and they only go over the line like one or two times where you're just like, eh, "It's too much." Doesn't it make you kind of well, really? There's one very clear time they go over the line, and it's awkward. <laughs> hold on, hold on. The the whole Let's movie not talk like about that again. The the <laughs> the idea of like a British secret service, secret agency. It's not new. It's something we we've all heard different tales of. This kind of recaptures the magic of that, and that's really why I like this movie, and why I think ultimately this movie gets a sequel. Yeah. It's, it's, the movie winks at you the whole time, and it's yes. great. Uh, so anyway, the next movie coming out is Kingsman: The Golden Circle. It uh, drops this Friday. Uh, people are saying it's uh, a bit too much, and with a one hundred and forty-one minute running time, I certainly believe it. Wow. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure uh, what. To think of that, that that is just too long for a movie like this. That's thirty minutes uh, too long. Kingsman, Kingsman: Secret Service uh, come, came in at a uh, svelte one hundred and twenty nine minutes comparatively. Uh, just, I'm gonna bet that after I watch this movie, I'm gonna be like, that was good, but they could have left twelve minutes of that on the floor. Uh, that's that's generally what I think about that. Um, that feels likely. The original movie I think was probably about an eight for me. Yeah, I could see this one being a seven. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited though to see. Uh, you know, uh, Halle Berry, Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, Pedro Pascal, like those four, those four actors are, and actresses are all awesome. And I'm really excited to see them get into the, uh, the, they're, they're the playing, the, they're playing the Statesman, which is the U S version of the Kingsman, <laughs> which is so good. That's so perfect. Yeah. It's, I feel like they can't, they can't screw this up, but because I mean, it's like designed so that, to be stupid. So, so here we go. You ready? The Kingsmen, their names are all based on the, the Knights of the Roundtable. The Statesmen, they are all alcohols. Uh, Pedro Pascal <laughs> plays whiskey. No, plays no, whiskey. No. Channing Tatum plays tequila. Holly Berry plays ginger ale. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays champagne. But they have, I guess everyone in the movie just calls him champ. So <laughs> I am very excited for that. And again, the casting is so good. You need a cowboy guy to to head things up, Jeff Bridges. Just, you Jeff Bridges, can't fuck yeah. with that. People should be putting Pedro Pascal in everything. So like, I'm yes. very, I'm very excited. After what he did on Thrones, like that guy should be in everything. And in so far since Thrones, he's done like The Great Wall. It's so disappointing to me that he has not been in a bunch of stuff because his Viper was so good in Game of Thrones. And it, you know, obviously, if you've read the books, you know, like that guy's. And oh, you know what? Spoiler alert: he dies. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. Uh, Everyone does. But he dies in the show way too soon, and you're just like, oh, I want more of that guy. Well, here's your chance to get a little bit more, and hopefully he starts to get more and more starring roles in these kind of things. All right, we're 10 minutes over, so I'm going to stop us off. For Kevin Garber and Eric Ronovic, I'm Nathan Sandel. We'll see you next week. Go Hawks! Good time.
Queen to 